Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOTN. This week we're going over UFC Vegas 6, which is headlined by Derek the Black Beast Lewis versus the Boa Constrictor Alexei Olinik. Uh, solid card. You know, uh, we had the cursed card, which was our last one, UFC on Vegas 5, uh, where all sorts of shit went down. You know I mean, way in day, we get three fight changes. The day of, we get Gerald Mearshart testing positive for COVID. And uh, then obviously, pretty much as Kevin Holland was just about to walk out, Trevin Giles passes out and has like a nervous breakdown or something. Uh, and that fight gets called off as well. So we get from from 11 booked fights all the way down to eight. Uh, so that one was, that was pretty uh, shitty. And I feel really bad for a lot of the people that play DraftKings out there because I, I'm not sure what they really did to... Uh, to to compensate people that were affected by the last minute pullout because that's just that's just unfortunate. I'm sure there was a lot of people that had a lot of exposure to Kevin Holland and that probably fucked up the majority of their lineup. So uh, very unfortunate for them there. Uh, but luckily, I'm I don't really fuck with DraftKings, so uh, there's not too much of a worry on my end. Uh, maybe one day I will when I'm able to dedicate a little bit more time to this. Um, I will look into the DraftKings side of things. I know it's profitable for some of my friends, and and there's so many opportunities for you to really uh, cash in there. Uh, but uh, we'll see. I need to dedicate the proper amount of time before I can really get into DraftKings. Uh, so if you guys are waiting for that, keep waiting. It's gonna come. I, I'm not setting a time frame on it or on it or anything like that. So just uh, you know, just stay tuned. That's all I'm gonna say. All right. Before we get into the actual breakdowns for this UFC on Vegas six card, let's go over my last card, which was uh, the shabazian and brunson card and man was it a goodie you know the the streak continues uh let me get into the picks first and then we'll talk about the streak itself but uh let's go with the well there was only two plays because i actually had a parlay of vicente luque and kevin holland i had one unit staked on that and i believe the return was like plus 128 obviously holland pulls out it turns into a one unit play at minus 186 for vicente luque that profits for 0.54 units um he ends up being my lock of the night play too because uh, earlier that week I had actually uh, submitted and bet Ray Borg as my lock of the night play at minus 186 as well. Uh, I was super confident in that fight and just as we saw the Nathan Manis fight play out with um, Johnny Munoz, I believe it was, uh, you know, we saw the, the big question mark was Ray Borg going to be able to get Manis down. Yes, an astounding yes. We would have gotten that takedown and probably gotten the finish too, if I'm being honest. So uh, very unfortunate that we're, we won't be able to see that. They'll probably match them up again, depending on what's going on with Ray Borg. Um, but we definitely won't see the same type of line uh, that we got the first time. So just say sayonara to that. Maybe it's a potential parlay piece where if they do end up matching each other up uh, once again. Uh, so lock of the night play. I added 3.5 more units to Vicente Luque at minus 201 once Ray Borg pulled out. Uh, and that comes through. You know what I mean? A lot of people continue to doubt Vicente Luque. He's taken a lot of damage. But y'all must have fucking forgot about my boy Vicente Luque. Uh, super talented guy. Very technical. The only things that I still feel like he needs to patch up is his striking defense. But luckily, like right off the bat, he didn't need to worry too much about what Randy Brown bought, brought to the table as he was able to establish his leg kicks pretty early, really get uh, Randy Brown hurting. And Randy Brown just was not able to really get his own game going. Uh, I will say it seemed like the momentum was slowly starting to shift in the second half of that uh, second round. Uh, 
as you know, Randy Brown kind of just threw his game plan out the window and just started winging shots. And Vicente Luque does that thing where he just stays in the pocket, doesn't mind getting hit with a couple shots. Even in the clinch, he was getting hit with a couple knees, just did not give a fuck. He just stayed on his path and just continued to dish out damage to Randy Brown. And then eventually he lands that beautiful uh, knee, which drops Randy Brown and gets the finish in the uh, waning seconds of the second round. Very happy to catch that. Um, you know, I'll I'll back Luke for a while. I did actually fade him last time against Nico Price, but that was mainly due to the price. Once again, another little pun for you guys there. But uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, he was like plus two eighty something. I'm like, I had to take a, a shot on Nico Price at, at, at this mark. You know what? I just want to see what I actually got him at since I'm on this page. Uh, Nico Price plus two fifty five. So you know, still a good line. I think I bet a little bit on him to win inside the distance as well too. But that was untracked. Um, but yeah, Vicente Luque is still around. He's still, uh, you know, he still has a lot of potential to fulfill. I just hope he works on his striking defense a little bit more so that we can be a little bit more comfortable and not have to sweat as much whenever we fucking bet on this guy. Uh, and that brings us to the main event, which was also my dog of the night play. I had a total of one point five units on Derek Brunson. One unit at plus 257, and then 0.5 units at plus 304. And man, I wish I went more. Again, hindsight is always 2020, but uh, you know what? The Edmund uh, backers and lovers, and apparently people that are calling me haters of him, I'm not an Edmund hater at all. I have no hate towards this guy. I'm, you know, I, I'm very high on him too. I think he has a ton of potential, but there are just certain things that he needs to fix in his game. And, you know, thinking that you're always going to go out there and stop somebody in the first round and then just gas yourself out doing so, it's not the way to go, especially at 22 years old. This is a lesson that he needed to learn, in my opinion. And I feel like if he lost that Darren Stewart fight, that would have been a lesson in itself and that probably would have helped him even more. Uh, but here he is, you know, loses to a, a veteran, a guy that's established in the division. Uh, and yeah i even cashed on the uh the round three untracked i did uh tweet out the 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 bet slip but i did cash uh plus 2200 on Derek brunson to win inside the third round so it happened man it was close though <laughs> let's talk about that it was very close to being stopped in that second round they probably should not have let Edmund go out in that third round luckily for me he did and then Derek brunson was able to end it pretty quickly after that thankfully cashing that uh plus 2200 ticket for me that was great um so yeah, big one for Derek Brunson. Uh, a lot of people counting him out. Uh, I just wasn't seeing the the you know again when you see something so evident in terms of Edmonds' lack of cardio, especially in the second and third round against Darren Stewart, you got to think that's still an issue until you see it actually corrected. And uh, we have not, we did not see it corrected after that Darren Stewart fight, and we still haven't seen it corrected in this Derek Brunson fight. So um, I'm still gonna have that little bit of an asterisk on Edmund. I want to see who he faces up and you know next, like what they kind of give him and how they feed him, and then kind of bet the fights accordingly. Uh, but yeah, this was a great spot for Derek Brunson to go out there, pull off the upset, and establish establish himself even more in that middleweight division. But for us, we cash a total of what is that? three four point something four point zero nine units uh on Derek Brunson alone and we ended in the card at plus six point three seven units for hundred and six percent ROI. 
Love it, love it, love it. We're on a five-event winning streak now. It's been absolutely going nuts. The last two events alone was over 13 units of profit. Uh, you know, only lost two bets, which was a total of 1.2 units. Uh, but we've just been absolutely murdering shit. And I have no intentions of slowing down. You know what I mean? This upcoming card might be a little bit lighter in terms of the betting, but I still feel like there's solid value. And some of the line movement that I've seen since I've finished doing the breakdown videos is mind-boggling to me absolutely mind-boggling so uh maybe you guys can pick it out as you guys go through these breakdown videos that i have coming up all right so like i said very successful ufc on vegas 4 event or ufc vegas 5 event i should say um and that brings us right into ufc vegas 6 which you know again there are decent fights sprinkled throughout it uh we get to see if weidman you know is truly shot uh, he goes in against a decent opposition against uh, omar yakmedov darren Stewart versus maki patola should be a great fight um i love me some yulia stoliarenko if you guys had not seen her last fight in invicta do yourself and go watch that fight i know it's five rounds totally fucking worth it just saying um gavin tucker versus justin james is a great fight loriana Storopoli versus tim means is a great fight too the return of nazra hackpress let's see how he rebounds off that last to, uh loss to drew dober uh andrew sanchez against wellington Terman is, is a good fight too and yusuf zalal trying to be the fighter of the year in 2020 comes out for his third straight uh ufc fight within six months the guy's staying busy good for him uh all right before we get into these breakdowns i just want to remind you guys all these breakdowns are dropped early as soon as i finish hitting record and stop i upload it onto my patreon so the patreon subscribers have first dibs on it they can sink their teeth into it first and make the plays that they feel uh they're comfortable with after hearing my analysis and not just early access to the breakdowns but they get uh access to all my official picks um uh, there's a I have a best bets and props article that I dropped for you guys that has a ton of gems on it, including that plus 2200 round three Derek Brunson win that I'm hoping some of my patrons actually, you know, tailed on that too. Uh, but there's a ton of things I hope to add to that Patreon as well. It's growing day by day. I am very, very happy and very, very proud of the of the uh, of the base that I've managed to establish there and the amount of people that are hopping on it. I hope to continue that growing and hopefully that will allow me to, you know, break the chains of my nine to five so I can do this a little bit more uh, full time for you guys, get these breakdowns out even earlier, uh, you know, put a little bit more content on there and hopefully get into DraftKings too. That will be something cool to add uh, to the Patreon over there. It's only five bucks a month, super fucking cheap. You're helping a brother out. You get a ton of value for that five bucks a month. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you guys are so inclined, head on over i have all the information in the description below um and apparently youtube is like my biggest way to reach patreon members because a lot of people who are on the patreon already came through just from watching my youtube video so i appreciate you guys for watching as always um and i appreciate you guys even more if you guys hop on the patreon all right i'll shut up about the patreon now let's get into actual breakdowns for ufc vegas 6 Erwin Rivera versus Ali Al Kaisi. We got minus 200 on Rivera, plus 170 on the UFC newcomer Kaisi. I might be absolutely butchering that name, but uh, I apologize. Uh, the over under is currently at two and a half. The under is plus 160. So, um, starting off with Kaisi, who's making his UFC debut, coming over from Abu Dhabi, I believe it is. Uh, he fights out of Jordan, uh, but he's been mainly fighting in uh, Brave CF, uh, Phoenix FC, which is another organization out there, as well as Desert Force, I believe is another one. Um, but yeah, mainly over there in the Middle East. Uh, he's put together a record of 8-3. and three. 
wasn't able to find tape on his last four fights, so it didn't have too much to work with. Uh, the only fights that there were tape or was tape readily available was against guys that were, you know, not really the most proven. Uh, the most recent fight I believe we have is for a guy named Juarez uh, Dia, who has gone undefeated since he lost to Kaisi. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm still skeptical of the level of competition that he faced at the time that he faced it as faced it as well. He made his pro MMA debut in 2015 and he's racked up about 11 fights in that amount of time in five years. That's not too bad. Um, but what seems to be his kind of go-to is his jujitsu. You know, he's quite active when he's, uh, on his back. He's always trying to go for arm bars or, or sweeps, or he loves his guillotine. He has a couple wins by guillotine choke, um, some again, some of them kind of skeptical too. Whenever you see so many guillotine chokes on a guy's record, you gotta wonder: is his choking game actually that fucking good, or uh, is just his opposition that bad? And unfortunately, I know none of the guys that he's faced in the past, so it's kind of uh, very sketchy for me. So to to make a confident read on this fight is going to be very difficult. Erwin Rivera, on the other hand, we know he's fought, you know, legitimate competition, uh, fighting over in Titan FC. He was the champion over there as well. Um, you know, even his last fight before the UFC against Danny Sabatello, that guy looked like a great wrestler, had a legit team. I believe it was American top team in, uh, in his corner as well. Um, you know, he's fought good guys, showed a ton of potential, uh, you know, has a bunch of finishes on his record as well, too. Uh, so one line that actually stands out to me a little bit more uh, would be the under two and a half, you know, plus 160. Both guys seem to be finishers. Uh, I'm intrigued to know what Ali Al Kaisi's cardio is going to look like when it comes into the third round. You know, his last two fights have been a decision victory for him or decision victories for him. But Again, against skeptical comp competition, I just don't know how good those guys are uh, and exactly what those fights look like. You know, Rivera trains at Sanford MMA, which used to be Black Zillions, you know, headed by Henry Hooft, and he has a bunch of all uh, Kamar Usman, Gilbert Burns, and all those guys uh, that he's training with. Uh, so he has high-level training partners, has high-level competition that he's fought in the past, or high-ish level competition that he's fought in the past. Obviously had uh, that short notice fight against Giga Chikadze last time around. He took that away class above and a couple on literally a couple days notice uh, and obviously lost that fight via decision. He just got completely outstruck there. Uh, but now here he is, you know, fighting at his legitimate weight class, uh, 135 pounds. Um, you know, that's where he was a champion over at Titan FC. So we'll actually see the real Irwin Rivera in this fight. Um, with uh, Ali al Kaisi. Again, there's too many question marks to make a legitimate read here. He could be the real deal. You know what I mean? His jujitsu could be like that nuts that he's able to catch guys and just weird guillotines or just whatever, submission arm bars and stuff, right? Uh, so it just makes me hesitant to want to put money on this fight. Uh, to be like comfortable enough to, to pick a side here is crazy to me. The only thing I would entertain is under two and a half. Plus 160 is quite intriguing. You know what I mean? Uh, both guys have a ton of finishes on the record. Let's just get the legitimate number in terms of finishes. So six out of... Uh, you know what? No, let's just do it all. What am I doing? All fights. So six... So eight finishes or eight fights have gone to a finish out of 14 for Irwin and for Ali it was uh five plus one six 
six out of 11 fights. So just about just over half for both guys in terms of uh, what their finishing rates are or getting finished rates are in their fight. So plus 160, not too bad in my opinion. So I like, um, uh, I'm going to take Irwin, to, Irwin Rivera to win this fight by second round TKO. I think he just puts it on him a little bit more. Uh, I think he stays out of the bad, uh, you know, guillotine positions. He showed, uh, he did get taken down in the first round against Danny Sabatello, but after that was able to stuff all of the takedowns that was coming his way and pretty much take over with the striking. Uh, kind of expecting the same thing here. Um, you know, if Ali's game is, uh, jiu-jitsu game is not the highest of levels, uh, he may be able to get Rivera down, but is he going to be able to scare one of those submissions? I'm going to say no. Uh, again, I think Rivera just trains with a lot of good guys uh that will help him get ready for anything like that and if they were watching any of the tape they see that ali really likes to pursue submissions so hopefully that's a, a part of his game that he's worked on a lot uh but yeah i'm going to take rivera to win this fight by second round tko uh and the plus 160 on that under two and a half is is hella appealing so if you do want to have a play on this fight um again you you, you can't be confident in kaisi because there's just not enough legitimate tape out there on him uh unless you have access to those last three brave fights that he's had on his record uh but yeah i'll go with rivera to win this fight by second round tko uh but the under two and a half is probably where the best bet will lay yusuf zalal versus peter barrett we got minus 325 on yusuf zalal plus 265 on Peter Barrett. Let's start off with Peter Barrett, who's making his UFC debut after uh, being successful on the Dana White Contender Series back in 2019. Uh, he defeated Sang Hoon Yu, who seems to have a lot of potential himself, but just had a very poor management of his gas tank. And I think the, the X factor of being on the Contender Series and going out there and wanting to get a, a spectacular finish uh, really, you know, uh, showcased um, how it can have an effect on a fighter. Uh, I think with better, you know, gas tank management, who you could be a very, very uh, tough opponent for a lot of people. Um, you know, even in that third round when he seemed to be gassed because he had already blown his load in that first round, he was still throwing strikes, he was still remaining active, but Peter Barrett did a really good job in terms of uh, clinching up with him, pushing up against the cage, and kind of just winning the fight through control. Um, Yusuf Zalal, on the other hand, in his last fight against Jordan Griffin, we saw him get pushed up against the cage, kind of similar to how Hoon Yu was uh, on the Contender Series fight with Barrett. Uh, but he did a really good job of digging under hooks and getting off the fence as soon as possible, uh, you know, and start dishing out his own damage and really start to take control of the fight. So I don't think that Peter Barry can really lean on that this time around. Um, you, you know, he's going to have to rely on his striking a little bit more, but I think that Zalal probably hasn't beat there too. Um, you know, Barrett is a, a very well-trained fighter too in terms of uh, who's in his corner. He, it's normally Mark Delagrati as well as um, Joe Lozon. So, you know, a Boston guy out there just doing very good uh, on the MMA scene, but I think that this might be a little bit more than he can handle at this point in his career. With that said, I think minus 325 is still a bit of a huge gap. I mean, I think that it's a little bit too wide, considering I still need to know a little bit more about Zalal. Um, he seems like a fighter with good a good potential. Um, probably the better jiu-jitsu game here. More aggressive. Uh you know, uh, has a better point fighting style as well too when it comes to the feet uh, and does a good job of getting out of bad positions. He never really settles when he's on the ground. Um, you know, in the last fight against uh, Jordan Griffin, we saw a couple times where Griffin did get the takedown, but Zalal was very, very um, successful in terms of getting back to his feet and, and dishing out his own damage to kind of nullify the takedown that Jordan Griffin had landed. 
Um, I find it hard to believe that Peter Barrett's going to be able to keep up with Zalal. You know, say what you want about Peter Barrett's heart. So he might be able to, you know, remain durable here and, and actually survive the, the 15 minutes. But I do think that Zalal will always get the upper hand in most of the exchanges. Um, you know, I could also see a point where Zalal does lock up a submission at some point. Uh, but uh, I believe the durability of Barrett might be able to be a, uh, a little bit better here. Um, I have gotten burned in the last two Zalal fights by betting the under two and a half. Um, you know, the Austin Lingo fight as well as the Jordan Griffin fight, I thought both uh, matchups, you know, would produce some sort of fireworks that would lead to either a submission or a TKO. However, that was not the case in either of those cases. Uh, here against Barrett, I just don't feel comfortable with it. It seems like Barrett goes for more so of a, uh, a safe approach when he's trying to, like, you know, get the victory or when he really gets pushed to his limits. Whereas Zalal, yeah, he does look for the finish pretty much at all times. Even in the Lingo fight, even in the Griffin fight, he's always fighting for submission at any point of the fight. But uh, the the safe nature of what Peter Barrett plays makes me a little bit more skeptical in terms of playing the under here. However, I do think Zalal wins this fight. I think he outpoints him here. Uh, again, there is a possibility of a submission. I would like to see what the sub prop comes out as, and maybe that might be worth a poke. Uh, but I'm going to take Zalal to win this fight by decision. I think he outpoints Barrett on the feet. He's going to be the slightly fast one. He's going to have more cardio, uh, and he does a good job of getting out of bad positions, something that Barrett's past opponents uh, kind of have faltered at. So I'll go with Zalal to win this fight by decision. I do think the line is a little bit wide. Maybe throw him in a parlay if you'd like, but uh, in terms of betting him straight up, I would pass on that. Uh, but this isn't even a, a dog or pass situation in terms of, you know, I would rather pass and not take the dog uh, than bet on this fight. Maybe just put Zalal in a parlay uh, and that would be the best bet. So I'll go with Yusuf Zalal to win this fight by decision. Gavin Tucker versus Justin Janes. We got minus 210 on Tucker, plus 175 on Justin Janes. Let's start off with the Canadian, the governor, uh, Gavin Tucker. He's coming in to this fight off of a win over Sungwoo Choi. That happened back at UFC 240 back in July of last year. So it's been a little bit of time since he's been off. Uh, he was actually scheduled to fight uh, Billy Quarantillo back in April. But obviously that fight got canceled due to the coronavirus. But now here he is back once again. Uh, and facing a guy that should be a relatively easy matchup for him. Not to mention somebody that... He's pretty much already fought. And I don't mean like this is a rematch between the two guys. I mean like he pretty much f fights the same way that Sam Cecilia does. If you guys remember Sam Cecilia, power puncher, likes to come forward uh, and doesn't really have much else. Like he just looks for the winging shots, one and done type of fighter, uh, doesn't really throw in combinations, plodding forward. Um you know, he. this is actually going to be his first time fighting down at 145, uh, at least according to Tapology. Uh, the closest he's gotten before, I believe, is 149 or 150, but never truly at 145. So it would be interesting to see uh, what kind of Justin James shows up, uh, you know, with uh, this being his first fight at 145, especially, you know, considering everything that's going on right now and all the extra stipulations and and procedures and protocols that every UFC fighter has to follow now due to these, you know, COVID events, as I like to call them. Um, but yeah, Gavin Tucker, you know, showed a very flawless performance against Sam Cecilia in his UFC debut. That was way back in February of 2017. But, uh, you know, it gave a lot of high hopes to a lot of people. The, the commentators were very much impressed with him. Uh, a lot of people were very high on him going into that Rick Glenn fight. And I, f I think it was even Brian Stan that kind of uh 
he kind of compared him to Cody Garbrandt in a bit um, in that Sam Zasula fight in regards to how he moved and how good he looked. Uh, and the Rick Glenn fight, you know, looked good for that first half-ish round or so. After and Then once he got dropped, it really started to go downhill from there. Um, it seemed like the size played a little bit of an advantage for Rick Glenn. Uh, you know, the pace is his, his just one gear. Rick Glenn has one gear and he was able to sustain it pretty much at a level pace from minute one to minute 15 and it really caught up with gavin tucker mix that in with a couple of uh you know i got a little bit of insider notes in terms of you know having a difficulty with the rehydration process uh you know a difficult cut um but you could really see the pep out of uh gavin gavin step after he got rocked that initial time now would it have been the exact same uh, outcome if he didn't get rocked in that first round maybe possibly i'm not trying to take anything away from rick glenn because i do believe that glenn is a very uh you know he's a very impressive fighter he's a very talented fighter he's a very gritty fighter and that was a very tough for him that was a very tough fight for him but uh, luckily for you know gavin roughly two years later goes back into the same arena that he got his ass whooped in and pretty much exercises demons, got a finish over Sung Woon Choi in the third round uh, via rear naked choke. That was a fight that it seemed like he really started to take the, the grappling, um, uh, a grappling heavy approach where he was going for wrestling, uh, he was going for the takedowns, he was going for, you know, taking the back, trying to get positions. Um, you know, he is a black belt under Henzo Gracie and Pete Martel. Um, you know, he, he is a high-level jiu-jitsu player, even though in that first UFC fight that we saw of him, he put on a striking clinic against Sam Cecilia. Now, I believe his best best path, path to victory is kind of taking the Sam Cecilia approach. A lot of leg kicks, a lot of in-and-out movement. I feel like we're going to see Justin Jane's really throwing out a lot of air here. Um, you know, the kids, uh, Justin Jane is very... He's very experienced. You know, this is going to be his 21st MMA fight. This will be the 12th for Gavin, or the 13th for Gavin, I should say, uh, at least professional-wise, though, if we're talking that way. Uh, but uh, another saving grace here for Gavin Tucker is the fact that this is going to be the first, you know, opponent that he's fighting roughly around his size in his last three fights. Uh, you know, Rick Lennon, Choi both came in at six foot. Uh, that's pretty tall for a guy, uh, for Gavin to fight. And... Uh, you know, Gavin is only 5'6 with a 66-inch reach. Justin Jane's 5'7, so it's not too much bigger. Uh, and again, he's coming down in weight, so he might be uh, a little bit stronger than Gavin. But I think the, the the technical side of it all, the striking, the grappling, all that stuff, is going to be in Gavin's favor. Uh, with the line being around the minus 200 range, I love it. I think it's a perfect spot for Gavin to go out there, uh, get his second win in a row. Uh you know, again, he can take pretty much any game plan style that he wants. Uh, I feel like the best path to victory for him would be to just, you know, keep kick kicking, uh, maybe even switch up from the leg kick to the calf kick. You know what I mean? I think that would really render Justin Jane's immobile and really take the pop off of his shots. And I truly think that if it wasn't for Jane's knocking out Camacho the way he did last time around, uh, you know, Gavin Tucker would be a much heavier favorite here. You know, Jane's is just not... Uh, it's just not a high-level opponent, in my opinion. I think Gavin Tucker runs through him, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, the the fight before uh, the UFC for Justin James, I believe it was a guy against a guy named Brandon Noble. Nope, sorry. 
That was the second last fight. Uh, James Warfield Lane and then Brandon Noble. But both of those fights, WXC 75 and WXC 78, that's a small fucking cage. And, uh, you know, that probably would benefit, like if this fight was taking place in that cage, uh, it would highly benefit Justin James. And even though this is the smaller cage at the UFC Apex, it's a lot bigger than what uh, Justin James was fighting in in the WXC. So, you know, that cage definitely played a little bit better of a, uh, uh, a setting for James to be able to go out there and get those knockout finishes. Uh, Brandon Noble was doing pretty well in terms of like sticking and moving, leg kicking, really making Justin James a whiff. Uh, but it really came down to the cage just being far too small for him to be able to implement that type of game plan over 15 minutes. And again, this is still the, the smaller cage in the UFC Apex, but it's nothing like the WXC cards. Go back and watch. I'm sure you can find them on YouTube or if you're on Fight Pass, they're on Fight Pass as well. Go back and watch the Brandon Noble and Justin James fight. That cage is fucking small. Like you could, you could almost jump from one side of the other, one side of the cage to the other. It's, it's insane. But uh, the apex cage is definitely bigger, and I think uh, it'll be enough room for for Gavin to stick and move. Uh, and again, even if he wants to mix in the takedowns there, I think his jujitsu is going to be good enough to to possibly submit uh, Justin James here. So. I like Gavin Tucker a lot here. I think this is a tailor-made matchup for him. The minus 200 range is beautiful. Uh, and yeah, I like Gavin Tucker. I'll probably say to win by uh, by second or third round submission. Uh, I don't know if Justin James will have the cardio to really deal with the pace and pressure and output of Gavin Tucker. And yeah, he has gone to a decision before. And yeah, he's gone five rounds uh, against Troy Lamson in the past. But this is a different level. You know, Gavin Tucker is going to put it on him a little bit more. He'll make him work more. And I think that it's just going to be too much for Jane. So I'll go with third round submission for Gavin Tucker. uh, And I'm looking at somewhat of a flawless performance here from him. Andrew Sanchez versus Wellington Terman. We got minus 155 on Terman and plus 135 on Andrew Sanchez. It seems like the line is slowly starting to close a little bit more. Opened at plus 130 for Andrew Sanchez. Got down to plus 110 and now it's back up to plus 135. Uh, Let's start off with Andrew Sanchez. He's coming off a loss to Marvin Vittori in a fight where he was a pretty sizable underdog in that fight um and for decent reasons i I get it marvin vittori is a really big guy uh had the superior striking in that fight uh sanchez was just not able to keep you know keep it uh you know pretty much be able to keep it close in the stand-up realm uh we already know that sanchez's game is revolved around the grappling and wrestling and if, if he's not able to get his opponent down he struggles quite a lot in terms of being able to secure rounds and obviously secure victory after that. Um, this time around, fighting Wellington Terman, who's not as big of a guy as Marvin Vittori, I think his takedown defense uh, won't hold up against Andrew Sanchez's takedowns in wrestling. Uh, so I believe this is a fight that Sanchez can drag to the ground. Uh, but he is going to have to be careful. You know, Wellington Terman is a high-level jiu-jitsu guy as well. Um, has some uh, submission finishes on his record. Uh, you know, threatened Carl Roberson a lot in that fight too. It was unfortunate that he wasn't able to get the finish in that fight because he needed it to get the judge's decision. Uh, the Marcus Perez fight, you know, he did decent on the feet. 
Try getting pressed down a couple times as well too, uh, you know, to try to implement his game there, but wasn't like completely successful. Still got the decision victory there, but we've seen him more uh, uh, successful in prior fights in terms of implementing his grappling. Now here, I think he's going to have a lot of trouble getting Sanchez down, so he might need to, you know, rely on his striking a little bit more. But I don't think he has as good striking as Marvin Vittori uh, or you know past opponents of Andrew Sanchez to really give Sanchez too much trouble on the feet. You know, Sanchez is striking himself, has started to develop a little bit. Uh, he showcased a little bit of it in that Marvin Vittori fight. And even though he lost in that fight, I don't think his stock really dropped massively. Again, he went into that fight as a huge underdog uh, and still, you know, um, addressed some of his issues from some of his past fights. Something that I've tried doing in uh, the past couple of Andrew Sanchez fights is picking his opponent to win inside the to win in the third round. Like we've seen Anthony Smith and Ryan Janes both very successful to completing that that prop, but Marcus Perez and Mark Andre Berriou weren't really able to uh, defend heavily enough against the grappling of Andrew Sanchez. Specifically, that, that Andre Berriou fight. I had Sanchez heavy in that fight. I, I had him as my lock of the night play for that event, and uh, he came through for me. But man, that third round, like he really had to work to get that takedown to secure the victory in that fight. And you know, he just had that little extra oomph that Mark Andre Berriou was not able to bring in that third round, which allowed him to secure that third round and secure victory but again he looked very very tired and very very gassed in that Andre Berriou fight specifically in the third round however when he came back in this Marvin Vittori fight I was very surprised at what his cardio looked like like in that third round he was the one that was pressing Marvin Vittori he was the one throwing spinning stuff he was the one you know engaging in the striking and I guess he kind of knew he was probably behind on the judges scorecards which kind of allowed for him to you know, maybe have a little bit of extra energy to try to really close that fight out and try to get a finish or seek some sort of finish. Uh, but we've never really seen that from Andrew Sanchez in the la in the past. Like we've always seen him slow down in the third round. And going into this fight, you know, it kind of escaped me the, the the third round of the Vittori fight. I didn't really remember too much of it when I went into taping this fight. And I'm like, all right, I can't wait to tip. You know, um. Uh, term in round three or possible draw considering if Andrew Sanchez squeaks out the first two rounds and then term in lays a beat on beating on him in the third round but his performance in this Vittori fight you know made me it made me feel as though he's turned a bit of a corner and now I'm not completely saying that you know that one fight was the one to really sell me on the fact that he's totally turned the corner on his on his cardio like I am a bit of a believer but not so much of a believer to believe that you know uh, he's going to showcase it once again. Um, when it comes skill for skill and, and who's going to be able to implement the game a little bit more in this fight, I truly believe it's Andrew Sanchez. I think he will be able to get Termin down. I believe he'll be able to stay out of any submissions that Termin throws up. Uh, he has a strong top game when he's able to keep his opponents down. He does a good job of staying out, uh, out of submissions. Um, so I think he'll be able to do that for at least two rounds. And I'm not sure maybe if the pace between him and Marvin Vittori was... Um, you know, slightly slower. Like they were throwing pretty consistently on the feet, and you know he did get hit a lot by Vittoria, but he was still inside of it. But I wonder if maybe grappling and trying to keep an opponent down will exert more uh, cardio from him, so he will look even more tired, just as he has in the past, and you know the third rounds of his fights. So depending on what the the, the third round for uh, you know Wellington tournament to win inside the third round, depending on those odds, like if we get like plus. 1700 or plus 2000 or something like that i wouldn't mind sprinkling sprinkling a little bit just to test the theory of you know if sanchez engages in more of a grapple heavy fight it just exerts more energy from him which is when we'll see his cardio issues start to spark up again 
Uh, and again, I do believe that this will be a, a grapple-heavy fight where Sanchez is just trying to keep Turman down, trying to stay out of submissions. Uh, and I think he'll do good enough to stay out of those submissions. And again, if he shows the cardio improvements that we saw in his last fight, this time around, I believe he'll be able to stay out of those uh, uh, submissions. I believe he'll not be, you know, be able to stay on top, not really get reversed or anything like that. And we could see ourselves, uh, you know, a classic Andrew Sanchez three-round decision, just absolute grapple-fucking... <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, uh, just a classic Andrew Sanchez decision. Um, but again, I will more than definitely uh, give a look to that tournament round three prop. And uh, it's a possibility here. But for Sanchez, and uh, I am a Sanchez fan, uh, I hope he has truly turned that corner with his cardio. And if he showcases it in back-to-back fights here, I'll be very, 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 very impressed. Um, he is the slight dog right now, so I do believe that there is a slight amount of value on him. But I do want to see as the week progresses, what kind of land we get Andrew Sanchez at. If he closes closer to like the plus 180, plus 200 mark, it might force my hand to play a little bit of a, a play on him. But even the Andrew Sanchez to win by decision is plus 220, I'd like to I'd like to see it a little bit uh, sexier, you know. What I mean, I, I want to see it uh, a little bit higher than that. Uh, but yeah, I am going to take Andrew Sanchez to win this fight by decision. Uh, I think he has made a bit of an improvement with his cardio. Again, not the most confident, just because I want to see it in more than just one fight. Just you can't base a bet strictly based off of what you saw just in their last fight you need to see a consistent amount of proof over numerous amounts of fights to really make a conclusion about a fighter like that especially if it's a a flaw that's plagued them for the majority of their career so once again i'll go with andrew sanchez to win this fight by decision uh but i'm truly interested to see what his cardio looks like if this fight hits the third round once again so lastly Andrew Sanchez to win this fight via decision. Nazrat Hackpress versus Alex Munoz. We got minus 240 on Nazrat Hackpress, plus 200 on Alex Munoz. Uh, the under two and a half, plus 135. And again, it's at two and a half, so... There's, there's a reason I'm pointing that out. So let's start off with Alex Munoz. Uh, pretty much leading up to his last three fights, he was going in there and absolutely dusting guys. Uh, his second pro fight, three-second knockout. We have that on the tape index, so make sure you guys go to the go to the tape index, check that knockout out. It was pretty pretty impressive. But in the last uh, couple stretch uh, or stretch of fights, uh, second last fight beat Nick Newell via decision in the contender series back in 2018, and then his last fight beat Troy Lamson, uh, who, which is a fight I believe was on the Dana White looking for a fight, and I think that they were going there to look for Troy Lamson outsteps Alex Munoz uh, with the victory, decision victory there. It's a solid win for him there. Uh, this is a guy that I believe he tra- yeah, trains out of Team Alpha Male, uh, has solid wrestling, a great wrestling base, so something that he can always lean back on, but he has a ton of power too. It seems like he throws with a lot of heat in pretty much all of his punches, has solid jiu-jitsu, but wrestling is obviously his base. Uh, I feel like in this fight with Nazra Hackprast, uh, first of all, the line is a little bit too wide. I'm not willing to pay minus 240 on Azra Hakparas, who, you know, seems like he still has a little bit of improving to do. Has fell a little bit on hard times in the last couple uh, bouts. Uh, lost to Drew Dober. I'm not sure why I thought he lost the fight before that. But uh, yeah, lost lost to Drew Dober last time around as a heavy, heavy favorite. Uh, and now in he comes to try to rebound off of this loss. 
against Alex Munoz. So uh, we, we kind of know Hack Press style. He's he mainly a striker, likes to kind of throw not not too much in combinations, but likes to throw power pretty much in anything. Uh, has decent movement, uh, has has good footwork, um, has a ton of power in his hands. Uh, again, not really a grapple heavy type of guy. Really just likes to implement his striking and try to knock his opponent out. And I feel like Alex Munoz is going to try to test him in that too. Uh, but it also opens up some takedown opportunities for him. Uh, Hack Price, a decent takedown defense. Uh, you know, when we saw him fight a grapple-heavy fighter in Marcin Held, we saw Held really get the uh, better of that fight. Uh, and Alex Munoz's wrestling game is, you know, it's it's legit. I'll, I'll give it to him. I think it is actually pretty high level. Um, with that said, I always find it so hard to, to bet on uh, UFC debuts coming into the UFC. And Munoz has a solid base in terms of his his wrestling prowess coming from TM Alpha Male. So he does have that experience in terms of sparring with some of these higher level guys. Uh, but, uh, you know, Hack Press does a good job with his footwork to like get out of bad positions. Uh, I think he's grown a lot since that Marcin Held fight, which was his first fight in the UFC, which kind of makes it, you know, again, with this fight against Alex Munoz, you don't know what you're going to get with the UFC debutant. Um yeah, I like this under two and a half because I believe that Hack Price will be able to keep it on the feet, which will allow Munoz to really uh, open up his striking, showcase his power as well. So at one point, we'll see one of these guys connect on the other, probably rock the guy, follow up with either a submission or, or, or punches. Uh, but I think both guys are very, very capable of finishes. So Munoz has gotten three straight decisions. Uh, Hack Price, on the other hand, three decisions in the UFC, but before that, just finish, 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 finish 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 including his last two fights where he finished and then got finished so um i, I think the, the the under it's the reason it's at under two and a half is the fact that alex munoz has gone to a decision the last couple of times but you you know you can't always just bank on you know kind of wiki capping these fights where you're just like all right this guy went to a decision three times more than likely this fight is probably going to go over look at the styles of both of these guys and i believe you know, with the style of both of these guys, it's going to turn into a slugfest. Both of them have power, and I truly believe one can hit the other. I believe Nazrat will be the slightly more active guy on the feet, and he'll be able to uh, be the one that, that initiates that power and, and lands that power. But again, I don't feel comfortable betting him at minus 240. I think the line is a little bit wide. I am going to pick him to win this fight by second round KO, probably even first round KO. Uh, but uh, plus 200 on Munoz is not bad value. If if you believe that he'll be able to implement his grappling, he can make it interesting. But uh, I, I do like Nazrat in this fight. Um, not confident enough to parlay him either, to be honest. I want to see how he rebounds from that devastating loss to Drew Dober last time around. But uh, if there is a bet on this fight, it would probably have to be the under 2.5 because I do believe there is some value there at plus 135 or even better than that. So final pick. I'll take Nazra Hypras to win by second round KO, uh, but I do really like the under two and a half on this fight. Tim Means versus Loriana Staropoli. We got plus or yeah, plus one fifteen on the Dirty Bird, minus one thirty-five on Staropoli. Let's start off with Tim Means here. He's coming off a loss to Daniel Rodriguez last time around, where he got clipped a couple times and then got finished via standing guillotine choke. There was just no way he was getting out of that choke. Um He's alternated losses over his last couple fights. Um, 
you know, had uh, tough losses to Nico Price and Daniel Rodriguez uh, in fights where he didn't look that bad leading up to the finishes. You know, he's always good and it seems like his chin issues are starting to come up a little bit. But thankfully here, I don't think he has much of a knockout threat to worry about in Loriano Staropoli. Staropoli is more of a a volume flashiest striker that likes to throw, you know, the enough shots to win him a, uh, pretty much the rounds and win him a decision. Uh, and Tim Means kind of likes to do the same thing, but with a little bit more aggression. My concern here with Tim Means is wondering what he's going to come into this fight looking like. You know, it's another uh, finished loss that he's coming in where he sustained a lot of damage. Um, you know, got rocked and dropped a couple times in that fight before getting choked out. Um, you know, he came back pretty strong in the Tiago Alves fight after he got finished by Nico Price. Uh, and that was also a fight where he like tore, broke his leg or broke his femur or some, whatever it was, something with his leg. Because after Nico Price dropped him, he like fell in a very awkward position. Uh, he was back roughly, what was that, nine months later and then beat Tiago Alves. Uh, but obviously Tiago Alves is a completely different fighter in 2020 than he was in 2013 or 20, 2009 when he got that title shot against George St. Pierre. Uh, here, Timin's fighting another young up-and-comer, 9-2 star Poli, uh, only lost to Muslim Salikov in the UFC, and the, then he had another loss uh, earlier on in his career. But since being in the UFC, beaten Hector Aldana, beaten Tiago Alves, and now, uh, again, most recently lost to Muslim Salikov. Uh, but this is a tough fight for him. You know, he's coming in as a slight favorite here. I get it. You know, people, a lot of people are going to think that Tim Means is on the way down. But I tru- truly think that Tim Means still has a little bit to offer. Uh, stylistically, like I said, this is a very good fight for him. Uh, this is a fight that he could easily win. He might be better in the clinch. I think he has the better jujitsu game as well, too. So if he wants to mix in his chokes, he could probably be successful there. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tim Means go out there and go about it in a grapple heavy way. He's going to be the bigger guy here too. In terms of size, we're talking six foot one, seventy one and a half inch reach for Laurie Arnstall Poli, sixty six foot two, and then seventy five inch reach for Tim Means. Um, yeah, this should be a very entertaining fight as long as Tim Means' chin isn't like completely shot and completely gone, kind of like Chris Weidman. I think he still has a lot to offer in these fights. Again, he's doing pretty well in these fights before getting caught and then, you know, getting finished or whatever it is. So his skills are still there. It all depends on his durability. And I'm not really willing to find out what his durability is like. But if you do fancy yourself to bet this fight, I believe him at the underdog odds are a little bit of the the, the value side, I should say. It all comes down to his durability, and I'm not willing to risk my own money to find out whether his durability is still there. Um, I do favor him to win this fight. I think technically he is the better fighter. Um, Again, he may be up there in age in terms of being 36 years old, but I still think he has enough in the tank to kind of stop this, uh, you know, this 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 young up and comer. Um, And again, even though Staropoli lost his last fight against Salikov, who himself is also 35, 36 years old. you know, I still think he has a ton of potential, but this is a very tough fight for him and uh, the Dirty Birds, Tim Means. The Dirty Bird, Tim Means. Uh, yeah, I like Tim Means to win this fight. I think he's going to get the better of the exchanges. I think he's going to have the higher output. And I don't know, I just have an inkling that he's going to go about this in a grappling type of mindset. I think he goes out there, tries to get Staropoli on the ground and start to work some of his submission game and some elbows from the top. Uh, but yeah, as an overall fighter, I think Tim Means is the better play here and the better fighter. Uh, dog money, 
you know, you go with the dog money uh, in close fights like this. Uh, and yeah, I think we see Tim Means win this fight via decision. Uh, but just another, you know, bump in the road for Staropoli, who I believe still has a ton of potential and can def- definitely make some noise in this UFC welterweight division. But uh, I don't think this time is going to be his night. I'm going to go with Tim Means. He gets, you know, back on track. Uh, continues his pattern of win-loss, win-loss, back onto the winning side. Uh, But yes, I do like Tim Means to win this fight via decision. Uh, And yeah, just getting back on track. But Neil Darius versus Scott Holtzman. We got minus 155 on Darius, plus 135 on Scott Holtzman. Another intriguing line here where the fight doesn't go to decision is plus 115. More than likely, this is going to drop at 2.5, which means the under 2.5 will probably be around plus 130, plus 140 or something like that. And that's a line that definitely intrigues me here. So let's start off with Benio Dariush. I actually had him as a lock of the night play last time around when he fought Drew Carr close. And man, did he make that fight a lot closer than I was hoping it was going to be. Um, you know, he was close to coming to the finish in that first round with that rear naked choke. Um, if it was on the ground, he probably would have been a little bit more successful. However, he was pretty much just backpacking drew car close and it made it a little bit difficult for him to really sink in that choke um he talked about his legs being a little bit blown out due to the fact that he was just you know backpacking drew car close as much as he was in that first round but in that second round you know he got tagged a couple times by drew car close which brought out the, the 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 monster in him and he just started throwing back landed the better shots and close and then closed the show <laughs> um you know skeptical performance there from Benio Darius you know he needs to really get fights to the ground to be able to secure the finishes uh his striking is obviously ever improving as his UFC career goes on but you know unfortunately for him you know the time is slowly starting to click the other way he's 31 years old so he's still technically kind of in his prime but the amount of damage and his striking defense has looked recently is a little bit skeptical Scott Holtzman, a guy that could probably land on Benio Darius here. I think that uh, his hands are going to be a lot smoother, quicker. Um, He's going to be a little bit better with the in-and-out movement. Um, You know, I I hope Darius is kind of working on his striking defense, but he could... uh, you know, he could definitely eat eat the canvas in this fight. I think that we could see Holtzman be a lot more successful on the feet. And Darius is really going to have to drag this fight to the ground to be able to get, uh, to be successful and possibly get a finish. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so split on this fight, you know what I mean? And whenever you're split on a fight, you're thinking that it's probably going to be one, minus 115 each at a pick'em. Uh, but plus 135 for Scott Holtzman, not bad. Uh, I... <sighs> You know, being this far out from the fight, I'm still trying to figure out whether I'm going to play uh, Scott Holtzman. But the other line that's going to be very intriguing to me, like I said at the top of this breakdown, was the under two and a half. I think both guys have finishing capabilities. I think Darius could absolutely sub Holtzman, even though Holtzman hasn't been subbed yet uh, in his professional MMA career. But Darius is just another level of jiu-jitsu compared to his past opponents. Uh, And as well as the MMA experience that Darius brings to the table uh, is just much more than a Holtzman's faced in the past. Um, but again it's hard to overlook the the Scott Holtzman uh, striking advantage here Uh, at least in terms of being the quicker faster uh, fighter with a lot more pop on his shots Um, Holtzman kind of fought a similar fight in his last fight against Jim Miller where uh, you know uh, Miller 
just as good jiu-jitsu as Darius, I'd say, but Darius probably has the advantage right now just due to his youth and his age and, and being a little bit more in his prime. Uh, Darius definitely has the better striking than Jim Miller at this point as well, too. Uh, and he did crack Holtzman a couple of times, so Darius could absolutely crack Holtzman here, too. Uh, but I think it would be much safer for him to play this fight on the ground. Um, yeah, it's it's so tough to pick a side here. Um I am going to start to side with Holtzman here. And again, something else about the Jim Miller fight. Uh, he was the one kind of pressing the fight for the majority of it, where Jim Miller kind of had his back against the cage. And I'm not sure if Darius would be accepting of that type of position. I think he'll be the one moving forward, which opens up a lot of countering opportunities for Holtzman, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if Holtzman will be able to, to pressure him as much as he did in the Jim Miller fight, but I do feel like Darius would have a better chance of being the pressurer and not the pressuree, if you guys understand that. Um, but I do like, uh, I, I do think that Holtzman can crack Darius's chin and, uh, you know, put him away compared to what uh, Drakkar Close was not able to do. Um, but uh, yeah, again, the most intriguing line here will be the under two and a half whenever that drops. And uh, instead of picking Holtzman, I would rather cover both uh, outcomes in terms of whether Darius gets the submission or if Holtzman gets a knockout, I would much rather play the under two and a half compared to the, the Holtzman straight line. Um, yeah, it's tough for me to see how Holtzman really goes three rounds of, of beating up Darius without potentially finishing him. But I could also see a situation where Darius, you know, really grapple fucks Holtzman, uh, maybe doesn't get the submission and potentially wins a three-round decision. So if anybody's going to win a decision here, in my opinion, it would probably be Darius. Um, yeah, I, I see the takedowns being a little bit easier for Darius later in the in the fight. But I do think that it's it's not going to take more than 12 and a half minutes for one of these guys to get a finish. So I'll go with Holtzman to win this fight uh, by KO. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's too close of a fight. The, the under two and a half is probably the best way to go here. Yana Kunitskaya versus Yulia Stoliarenko. We got minus 235, heavy steamed minus 235 on Yana Kunitskaya and plus 195 on Yulia this might even be at plus 200 by the time you guys get this recording. Uh, but yeah, we're seeing a lot of steam on Yana. So initially, she opened up at minus 175. We're getting her around. Uh, then she got up to about minus 120-ish. Uh, and now she's down to minus 235. And I think the steam is going to continue. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with the steam. So let's start off with Yana. Like I said, uh, she's coming off a loss to Aspen Lad last time around in a fight where when the fight was on the feet, she did a decent job in terms of keeping her distance, using her kicks very well, and pretty much outpointing Aspen Lad, not by a large margin, but uh, you know she was showing her strength when she was able to control clinch situations, um, not for a long period of time either. But uh, you know she, you know Russian champion in terms of Muay Thai kickboxing, she has a lot of good technical uh, aspects of her game that are very very impressive. Uh, however, when it really comes down to a fight and really, you know when you're trading in the pocket or when you're, uh, or I should say when she is trading in the pocket and when she's really in a firefight, it really gets tough for her. And uh, you can kind of see it in her reactions when she's like flinching on some sort some shots. Um, like, again, technically, she's a very sound fighter. She uses her kicks very well. Uh, the one issue I did find with her kicks at times is that she allows her opponents to kind of catch them and then, you know, end up tripping her. I could definitely see Yulia go that kind of way here where she, you know, uses the kicks as a way to to kind of get this fight to the ground. Um, 
Kunitskaya not too bad off of her back. We saw her, uh, you know, uh, achieve victory against Tanya Evinger, uh, even though that was a little bit skeptical in terms of like, you know, Tanya was, uh, you, you guys know the whole story. Tanya was kind of using, pushing off um, uh, Yana's face with her foot and she was told that that was illegal Clearly, it was a legal technique. However, ended up, uh, you know, causing Tanya Avenger to eventually tap to a submission uh, via armbar. But after that, they they had a rematch, and then uh, Avenger came back and beat her by rear naked choke, pretty much in the next fight. Uh, and then since then, you know, she won one. Or Yana won one fight in Invicta. She came into the UFC pretty much as a hazing to beat uh, to get beaten by uh, Chris Cyborg, and she actually headlined that pay per view as well. That was a pretty weak card, if you guys remember that. Uh, then she racked off two straight wins against Lena Landsberg and Marion Renault, and then most recently got uh, beat by uh, and finished by Aspen Lad in uh, December at UFC DC. But uh, yeah, Aspen Lad came out with a fire in that third round, dropped Yana Kunitskaya, and just never let up, and eventually got that TKO finish uh, due to due to strikes and uh yeah like it, it you know she she was looking decent in that fight she held her range very well um and this is a prime spot for her in terms of going out there and just out kickboxing yulia stoliarenko with that said i was kind of impressed with stoliarenko last time around and she kind of fought like a mobile punching bag in terms of uh you know the the girl that she was fighting lisa i just want to get her name right lisa versoza she cut her up with a huge gash with this beautiful elbow in the third round, I believe it was, and she just started pouring blood after that. Um, very bloody fight. Uh, you can tell what kind of fight it was just because, like, the, the blood for that, like, pretty much from that third round, all of it was in the middle of the cage. Like, that fight was pretty much them just, like, you know, coming in with exchanges, hitting each other a couple times, then backing off. Then coming in with exchanges, hitting each other and backing off. Like, it was insane the amount of damage they were dishing out to each other. And I loved uh, the use of elbows from Yulia as well. You know, anytime that they would close the distance, she would throw an elbow first and she would throw them in combinations too. Uh, you know, maybe not the most technical, but they were efficient and they were effective. You know, they worked very well against Lisa in that fight. Again, this is a fight that Yana could absolutely go out there and outpoint Yulia by just, you know, pretty much uh, fighting from the outside. And the weird thing is Yana is like deceivingly tall uh, or seemingly tall, I should say. But she's not. You know, she is uh, in terms of size. She's only six. Uh, sorry, five, six. What am I talking about? She, she's listed at five, eight, I believe on uh, on the t tail of the tape. They, they actually even had her at five, six. And uh, Yulia Storyarenko is around five six five seven, and uh, the, the 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 reach advantage is for neither. You know, it's like a, a an inch and a half at most for Yana Kulinskaya. It's nothing spectacular. So in terms of her holding this range, it's all going to come down to her using her leg kicks. And I feel like that's a way, an entry for Yulia to kind of get this fight to the ground. In a way, she's kind of like a uh, an Aronda Rousey. Uh, she has a ridiculous amount of armbar victories on her record. Let's just count that up real quick. One. Two, this one's uh, via flying armbar. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten of her, well, I guess she had a couple uh, exhibition fights on the Ultimate Fighter. Ultimate Fighter. She was on that Ultimate Fighter season 28. And uh, yeah, she has 10, uh, uh, 10 armbar victories pretty much out of uh, 11 fights. Or sorry, 10 wins. God damn, why can't I do the math right now? 
all of her wins are pretty much by armbar except one, which is insane. She's nine three and one, uh, but yeah, she she loves that she loves that armbar. She likes to pretty much jump from the armbar from clinch positions. So if Yana really wants to like engage in the clinch, that's something that she's gonna have to worry about. And Yulia is very active from the clinch as well too. She's gonna throw those elbows. She's gonna throw those knees. She's gonna stay active, and. Um, I think it's going to be a tough fight for Yana. Like for only so long, I can see her really just you know staying on the outside and picking apart Yulia, and I do not feel confident at all at minus two thirty five for Yana to really win this fight from that from that position. Um, it's a tough fight. You know, I mean, the the value obviously here is on Stoliarenko. If you want to bet this fight at all. You know, you're getting close to two plus 200 for a girl who is a proven fighter, who isn't afraid of the firefight, who isn't afraid of the pocket, and is willing to push the pace, you know, and, and push the pressure and really be in her opponent's face. Um, you know, I, I don't mind the value side here. I could absolutely see uh, an argument for Yana going out there and I'm pointing her from the outside. And this might be one of those situations where I, I'm picking Konitskaya to win, but, uh, you know, the value side is clearly Yulia here. And... I kind of like her. I, I think she's going to make Yana break. I think, you know, some of those elbows are going to cut her up. Uh, she's going to damage her nose, just as we saw her, saw her kind of start to fold in that third round against Marion Renault when she broke her nose. You know, Yulia is really going to bring it to her, and she's she's going to cut her up. She's going to make it a very tough fight. Um, I see the kicks again, like I keep saying. I think the kicks are going to uh, allow an entry for Yulia to cr- try to drag this fight to the ground. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see an armbar finish from her either, so... Uh, you know, Yulia, maybe even to win inside the distance. I would love to see what the sub prop is going to drop at. Maybe it's pl- like plus 400 or something. Uh, might be worth a little bit of a poke. But uh, even Stoliorenko, better than plus 200. That's the that's the value side. That's probably wh- where uh, the money should go if you're looking at betting that fight. Um, uh, yeah, th- this line is far too wide. Um, and even though that there are technical differences, and, and obviously Yana technically is much, much better than Yulia here, it truly comes down to who the fighter is here. And I truly believe that it's Stoliarenko. I think she, just her ability to, to absorb damage and, and dish it out pretty much at the same rate, if not more, uh, it's going to have a huge difference here. So I'm going to take, uh, fuck. I'm I'm gonna take Konitskaya. I think she, that she'll get the you know she will outpoint her a bit, uh, but the, the the value side by far is Yulia here. Um, yeah, if she could make this grimy, if she could make it dirty, if she could get Konitskaya onto the ground, we could possibly see another armbar victory for her here. So uh, I'll go with Konitskaya to win by decision. But uh, I'm very very I'm do not parlay Yana Konitskaya. Do not play her at minus two hundred or wherever the fuck she's at now. If you do want to bet this fight, Stoliarenko is the way to go. Um, and yeah, she's clearly the value side here at plus 200. Darren Stewart versus Mackie Patolo. We got minus 160 on Darren Stewart and plus 140 on Coconut Bombs. Uh, the fight doesn't go to decision is minus 155, which is a line that I'll probably keep my eye on throughout the week um, or during the fight week. You guys know what the fuck I mean. Um uh, so yeah, let's start off with Mackie Patolo. I actually had a large wager against him last time around when he fought Charles Bird, as I believed Bird was going to be able to get pa- uh, Patolo down, uh, you know, pretty much control him and then work his way to a submission. Uh, but Patolo looked really good. I believe his fight against Callum Potter was down at 170, but he missed. Uh, yeah, he just had made weight. 
but he had a lot of issues according to the commentators uh, and this time around or last time around you fought Charles Berta was at 185 and now here he is once again coming in at 185 against Darren Stewart uh, this could be a good thing for him. Maybe that's why we saw him look slightly better in his last fight. You know, Charles Bird was really working hard to get those takedowns. Uh, Patolo did a good job in terms of reversing them and getting the better position. Uh, it seemed like he had the better gas tank at that, uh, you know, after that first round too. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on in terms of what it looks like moving forward. Uh, you know, in the Potter fight, it looked like he was zapped and his, his cardio really did fail him a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that could have been an issue for him, which is why he's probably not going back down to 170. Here against Darren Stewart, he's fighting not a super big uh, middleweight, but a guy that, you know, pretty much has uh, similar skill sets. But I would give the slight advantage to Darren Stewart in terms of uh, 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 striking abilities and technical uh, striking abilities. Uh, I'm interested to know if we'll see Patolo take a grappling-heavy approach, which unfortunately for... Uh, uh, Darren Stewart has been the downfall of his career for the last couple of fights. Uh, you know, he is two and two in his last four. Uh, you know, those two losses coming to Edmund Shabazian, who's obviously headlining or headlined the card, depending on whenever you guys are watching this. Uh, and, um, and Fabinski, uh, who's just a huge, not really a huge, but a very strong and imposing middleweight himself. And does a really good job in terms of stifling opponents, grinding on opponents, dragging them down, clinching them up against the cage and having the control for the better part of the round. And that's really what got the better of Darren Stewart in that fight. Deron Wynn tried pulling it off too, but Wynn is just not a 185er. You know, as we've seen, as Wynn's career has progressed, uh, his you know his, his game just doesn't work against these higher level middleweights in the UFC. Um, unless he moves down to welterweight or even lightweight, which is probably where he should be, uh, he's probably not going to be successful successful in the UFC so Darren Stewart did a lot better against Darren Wynn against uh compared to uh Bartos Fabinski and Edmund Shabazian again I do believe he's going to be the better striker here but I'm interested to know if Patola is going to go with the grappling route and uh you know if he does he could definitely stifle Darren Stewart but I don't know if his grappling is going to be as good as Fabinski's it, it definitely won't be as good as Fabinski's uh, his takedown entries probably won't be as good as Duran wins. If Stewart is able to keep the distance here, maybe land some leg kicks and really uh, stifle the forward movement of Mackie Patolo, he could have success here. Um, I do think the line should be slightly tighter, maybe around minus 120, minus 130 for Darren Stewart. Um, but these guys are almost mirror images ugh, mirror images of each other. Uh, but I do give the slight advantage to Darren Stewart here. With that said, I'm not really willing to pay the minus 160 on him. Uh, again, I do think he is a slightly more talented guy, has a little bit more power in his hands, technically the better fighter, better kicker too, uh, but the downfall of both guys has been the grappling. So it's going to come down to, you know, either who has the better fight IQ in terms of, uh, uh, you know, implementing the grappling and really making this a grindy, dirty fight, uh, or whoever the better technical striker is, if both of them can that, you know, their ego slide and, and you know, succumb to the fact that, you know, one of them is going to have to go to the grappling. I do believe if somebody's going to go to the grappling first, it would be Patolo, um, as I do see Stewart having success. Um, and then if this fight does go on a little bit longer, I'm interested to see what the gas tank of both of these guys look like, uh, mainly Mackie Patolo. Uh, I do believe that they will set this over under at 2.5, and, and if so, the under 2.5 is a little bit intriguing. 
Uh, I'd like to see what that number is. Um, you know, if it's in the plus 150, plus 180 range, I'd consider it. But considering that the fight doesn't go to decision, is minus 155. It will probably be around a pick em, minus 110, minus 115 for the under two and a half. If that's the case, I'll probably pass on this fight all in, like, in total. Um, but I would give the slight advantage to Darren Stewart here. So I'm going to pick Darren Stewart to win this fight by let's say second round TKO, third round TKO, uh, but very tough fight to pick. Uh, would be more comfortable betting on Darren Stewart if this line was a little bit closer to a pick but since it doesn't seem like we're going to get that, uh, regardless, I'll, I'll still go with Darren Stewart to win this fight by second round TKO. Chris Weidman versus Omari Akhmedov. We got pretty much a pick line here, a little bit of action coming in on Weidman as the week goes on. Minus 115 uh, for Weidman, minus 105 for Akhmedov. Uh, the one that one line that doesn't treat me right off the bat, we are still waiting on most of the props to come out. Uh, but Akhmadov to win inside the distance plus 200. The reason I bring that up, let's look at Chris Weidman's last couple losses. So, uh, he is one in five in his last six. Uh, the fight before that, uh, six fight stretch was against, uh, TRT-less v- v- uh, Vitor Belfort. So that was an easy one for him. Ground and pound, pretty easy. Uh, but since then, uh, ground and pound knockout by Luke Rockhold. I was actually at that fight, UFC 194, Aldo McGregor, uh, back in December of 2015. Next up, Yoel Romero, uh, flying knee and punches in the round three, uh, finish there. Knees via Gegard Musasi, finish there. That's three in a row, finished. Comes in there, beats an undersized, undersized Calvin Gaslam that, uh, you know, after looking at his record now uh, in terms of his middleweight run, probably not the most impressive. You know what I mean? Uh, and yeah, so Weidman goes out there, dispatches of him, even after an early scare in that first round where he got dropped pretty much right at the end. Uh, ends up coming back, where, uh, back, you know, implements wrestling, implements his uh, size, and then eventually finishes Calvin Gaslam in that uh, third round via arm triangle choke. Next up, Jacare Souza shows pretty good striking. I won't lie, very improved. Uh, you know, with Jacare Souza, it's pretty easy to just get out of the way of his shots when he's just throwing winging bombs for the most part. Um, but he still ends up getting caught by Jacare in that third round, gets put out there. That's another uh, KO loss. And then for some fucking reason, decides to go up to light heavyweight and face one of the craziest finishers or one of the more devastating finishers uh you know in the light heavyweight division and an up up and comer 11 and 0 at the time dominic reyes reyes pretty much flattens him in two rounds not even um what were the odds on that fight plus 160 dog for chris weidman why i didn't take the shot on dominic reyes there i have no idea um Weidman was actually scheduled to fight Jack Hermanson uh, before this whole COVID thing. Uh, that ended up going down the boat, uh, or sorry, going down the shitter pretty much. Uh, obviously, again, due to COVID, uh, Jack Hermanson goes out there, gets a win over um, Calvin Gaslam just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but we already know how a little bit easy-ish that is, even though that line was pretty damn close. Now, here he is against Somari Akhmedov, who doesn't have a finish on his ufc record the last time he did actually i lied he does have a bit of a finish he has two finishes one against tiago perpetuo who was his ufc uh, debut uh finished him in round one and then he beat brian ebersol via knee injury so that's technically a tko uh gets the victory in that fight too 
got finished twice by Sergio Moraes and uh, Elizio Zaleski dos Santos uh, back-to-back third-round stoppages, which really, for me personally, really made me question what his uh, cardio was like. And and it, we do see it, you know, throughout his fights where he does seem to slow down a little bit in that third round. Uh, you know, you can take the whole the old like Joe Rogan adage of you know the, the the muscles needing so much oxygen and him being as fucking muscular muscularly bound as he is uh you know he's gonna tend to gas a little bit sooner not gonna lie I was kind of uh impressed with him in his Zach Cummings and Ian Heinish fights both fights where I believe I probably picked against him harping on his you know third round cardio and uh you know, it always comes back to bite me in the butt because he keeps fucking pulling it off. He keeps, you know, winning the, either the first two rounds or doing good enough in the third round to not be stopped and and actually pull off the victories there. Here against Chris Weidman, uh, you got to believe that the, the, the wrestling is going to be a little bit of a wash. Uh, the cardio advantage, you would have to give a slight advantage to Chris Weidman. Um, knockout power, got to go to Amari Akhmedov. Uh, I feel like it's been a while since we've seen Akhmedov get KO'd, close to four years now. And uh, I find it hard to believe that Chris Weidman's going to go in there and knock him out. Uh, so what I see here is actually, like, if if Weidman shows the striking that he did in the Jack Souza fight, he should be fine. Um, you know, I feel like the wrestling will be a wash, so we don't really need to worry about who's going to have the wrestling advantage here. If anything, I think the cardio will allow Weidman to have a, a bit of a, a grappling advantage in that third round. But, 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 it's just so fucking hard to trust the chin of Chris Weidman. Like, we can talk about last week, like, uh, like the Brunson fight, uh, you know, Brunson has had chin issues in the past, but he's been pretty far removed since that fight uh, to really say that he has a legitimate chin issue. Edmund Shabazian landed some good shots on him, yet he was still in the fight. Uh, with Chris Weidman here, one of those bombs from Omari Akhmedov could absolutely like put him into trouble. We saw him land a couple bombs against Ian Heinish, which really slowed the movement of Ian Heinish in that fight. Uh, you know, it, it it did definitely have an effect on Heinish. It didn't put him out or drop him or anything like that, but it did make him, make him think twice. And I just, I'm not, I'm not a believer in Weidman's chin yet. And it's so hard to to comfortably put money on him. Now, if his chin was fine, I would even line Weidman here at minus two hundred, minus two fifty, even. Again, striking advantage, output advantage, wrestling being a wash, cardio advantage. Uh, he has all the traits to beat Akhmedov here, but, and and I don't normally, you know, uh, th- this fight is a no bet for me, it may be a no bet, uh, but I don't really like to pick a guy whose only real path to victory seemingly is that knockout punch, and I feel like that's kind of what it is for Akhmedov here, uh, maybe he has a bit of an advantage at the beginning with his wrestling, but I could see Weidman doing well with getting back to his feet and, and and defending against those. And if anything, that's just going to make Omari more and more tired, which should make him more vulnerable in the third round. But, you know, Weidman must have learned a solid lesson over the last couple of fights where, you know, you you can't really count, uh, you know, you, you got to wait till the final bell is done before you can really start to taper off on your discipline when it comes to the striking defense. And man, I'm 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 so torn here. Like again, skill for skill and all that stuff, you kind of got to go with Weidman. But uh, man, he's what is he? Thirty six years old. He's kind of getting up there in age. How old is Akhmedov? Thirty two. So Akhmedov has a a slight uh, 
Um, Akhmadov has a slight uh, age advantage, if you want to call it that. Six foot, 73 inch uh, reach for Akhmadov. And we got six two seventy eight 78 inch reach for Weidman. So obviously he's going to be dealing with a bit of a, uh, a size discrepancy here as well. So, fuck. I'm, I'm going to go with Akhmadov. I feel like uh, he he will land a bomb and i feel like he will put out put weidman out i'm just so like i'm just so scared of weidman's chin and durability at this point in time it's so hard to it's so hard to just confidently put money on him you know i mean i don't know how you can go out there and be comfortable even at the line that he's at and even if he was an underdog or even a slider underdog i don't get it like it's 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 hard for me to believe that uh weidman's chin is still like 100 percent. and again even though amari doesn't really have any knockouts on his record uh i feel like he could uh definitely pose some problems here and get the finish so like i said at the top uh, Akhmadov to win inside the distance is plus 200 I'm going to wait for that KO line I feel like it's gonna, probably going to be around plus 250 plus 300 and I might poke a little bit on that I, I'm not 100% sure yet I need to see what the line drops at before I'm com- completely there but I will say Omar, Omar Akhmadov wins this fight probably by second round KO uh, but man it's it's a tough time to be a Weidman fan and it's an even tougher time to be a Weidman backer so if you have the balls to go out there and you know pull the trigger on Weidman uh, all props to you but everything I've seen up until this point he just can't handle the power and again even though Omari doesn't really have knockout pa- or knockout wins on his record uh, the guy still holds a lot of power he's faced some pretty tough guys as well too uh, Ian Heinish, Zach Cummings, Tim Boach Marvin Vittori, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, uh, Kyle Noak was his first fight after his two-fight losing streak. So, uh, you know, most of these guys haven't been getting finished that often. Tim Boach maybe a little bit more uh, recently. Uh, but yeah, Zach Cummings and Ian Heinrich are pretty durable. But yeah, I'll go with Almario to win this fight by second-round KO. It's not going to be anything pretty. Maybe he lands like some sort of winging shot on Weidman. Uh, but, you know, this is a very winnable fight for Weidman. As long as his chin doesn't get checked, he should be fine. Uh, he could win this fight easily by outpointing uh, Omari on the feet, just straight movement, uh, you know, sticking and moving, not really staying to get punched. Uh, but I feel like he, there will be a point in time where he slips up and Omari lands that bomb and puts him out. So I'm going with Omari to win this fight by decision, or sorry, by second round KO. Uh, yeah, what more can I say? I feel bad for uh, for Weidman at this point. And he's a great guy. I've even had dinner with him one time. Uh, but I, I really hope that he, you know he's able to distance himself from these chin issues, and this would be a great way to start it. You know, maybe eat a couple shots from Omari to show people that he can actually handle some of the uh, some power coming back his way. Uh, but again, I think Akhmadov's power will be too much for him. And again, I get it; he doesn't have a legitimate finish on his record. But this is the first time he's fighting Chris Weidman, who has been super fucking chinny over the last little bit, and I don't, I just don't trust it. So again. I'll stop at this. Omari Akhmanov to win this fight by second round KO. Derek Lewis versus Alexei Olenek. This is the main event of the evening. And for some reason, you know, they could have made it the co-main event. We get five rounds of this fight and we'll probably won't need all five rounds. I think we'll only need maybe two rounds at most. Um, minus 600 for the fight doesn't go to decision. So that's just enough to tell you what's up there. Um, 
Minus 265 for Derek Lewis, plus 225 for Alexei Olenek. Let's start off with the boa constrictor Olenek coming off a solid victory over Fabricio Verdum last time around. The fight before that, he beat Maurice Green via armbar. Old man Olenek keeps chugging along. You know what I mean? He came into that Verdum fight as a pretty solid underdog, goes out there and springs the upset. That's his 59th victory that he had secured there. And now here he comes into a 74th pro MMA fight, 74 fights, and he's at 43 years old. Insane that he keeps going on. But when you're such a high-level jiu-jitsu player like that, it kind of makes sense as to how you're able to sustain a long career uh, in terms of submissions, 46 submission victories. That's that's insane uh, that he's able to achieve all these all these victories no matter what's going down. Uh, what's going down. But uh, this fight against Lewis is going to be a tough one. Uh, but honestly, I kind of felt like the odds should have been a little bit closer. Um, you know, we know what a Linux game is. He wants to rush forward and then he wants to get you down and then start to implement his jiu-jitsu game. This fight kind of reminds me of the Mark Hunt fight. You know what I mean? Mark Hunt, um, you know, fished out of the water uh, in, on his back. Uh, but a lot of people thought that Olenek was just going to get knocked out, wasn't going to be able to get Mark Hunt down. Um, but the opposite happened. Olenek went out there, got the takedown, got the submission. Pretty straightforward. Uh, the same thing could happen here against Derek Lewis. The only difference here, though, is Derek Lewis has this freak freak of nature type of power to be able to just stand up whenever the fuck he wants like there's so many fights in his past where you know fighters have taken him down and they've done decent damage from on top but like no matter what position they're in full guard half guard side uh, side control full mount even on their back doesn't matter you know what i mean somehow he you know turns over onto his belly gets his arm down gets his knee up and then just starts you know standing up like there's nothing fighters can do to fucking hold him down uh, if there's any fighter that can, you know, get him down and possibly do some sort of damage in terms of, you know, getting a choke or getting an armbar or whatever the fuck it is, it's probably Alexi Olenek. And don't let the age fool you. The guy's still going out there and getting submissions and finishes over guys that are much younger than him. Uh, you know, it, it is a little scary. You know what I mean? It is definitely a little bit scary. But if you're a Derek Lewis backer and somehow he gets his back on the ground, you're going to be sweating too. That minus 265, minus 275 is not going to be looking that good if we get this into the boa constrictor's realm. And I, you know, truly, my, my, my head, it, it's tough. Like, it, I'm I'm kind of torn on this fight. Like, there's nothing that you can really extract from tape here that's going to be like, okay, this guy's for sure going to win, which is why I don't believe that this fight should be as li be lined as widely as it is. You know, Derek Lewis could absolutely go, absolutely go out there and, and uh, you know, land a fucking bomb and, and put Olenek out. But what if Olenek, you know, he, he sees that first punch coming, you know, ducks it, turns it into a takedown, trips Derek Lewis, gets him on the ground, and then starts working his jiu-jitsu. I don't trust a minus 275 on a Derek Lewis that doesn't really know what the fuck he's doing on the ground. And again, even though he's able to just fucking muster up the energy and just stand up whenever the hell he wants to, I find it a little bit difficult when he's fighting a guy like like Alexei Olenek. I feel like Olenek will do a good job of being able to keep him down long enough to potentially threaten with the submission. And if you're giving me that, you know, I'm, I'm, 
I wouldn't mind it. Like that that's the odds are not that bad for that to happen. I would love to see what Olenek via submission line is gonna be. You know, with him being at plus two twenty five, it's probably gonna be like plus two sixty, plus two seventy. And that's probably not even you know, that's not too bad and it's probably worth a poke. Um yeah, I'm going to say Derek Lewis to win this fight by a KO, TKO, because I do believe he has this ridiculous knockout power that he, you know, if he can land on anybody, he'll he'll be able to put him out. Uh, but, you know, there's that potential. Again, there's just that potential that we see Derek Lewis find himself on his back and, uh, you know, possibly get get finished that way. You know, we he had decent fights against Blagoy Ivanov and Nilir Latifi in his last two outings, but uh, nobody has had the jujitsu of Alexei Olenek's level that he's fought since. Um, see, I'm I'm having to go real far back. Uh, Roy Nelson in 2016, but we never really truly saw Roy Nelson uh, display his black belt in jujitsu within his UFC career. So even if we go further past that. Like, there isn't really anybody he's ever fought that has the jiu-jitsu at the level of Alexei Olenek. And, um, yeah, say what you want about Olenek's age. Say what you want about how slow he is. He still manages to get guys to the ground, still manages to pull off submissions, and still manages to go out there and beat a guy who's pretty much a carbon copy of himself, but with better striking in Fabricio Verdum, and still finds a way to get the finish. Or, not, not the finish, but still get the victory in that fight. So, I'm going to go with Lewis to win by first round KO, but uh, definitely not a bet. And I truly believe that Olenek is the, is the value side here. So, uh, you know, don't be surprised if I do end up pulling the trigger on Olenek as an underdog or even his sub prop as an underdog play. Uh, but I do think that Derek Lewis will end up landing on Olenek and putting him out. Uh, the odds just don't suggest uh, a good enough probability or enough uh you know, value in my opinion to really be able to go out there and put a bet on Derek Lewis. So I'm taking uh, Lewis to win this fight by first round TK or KO, TKO, whatever you want to call it. But uh, yeah, closer fight than what the odds suggest. And that's a wrap on UFC Vegas 6. I hope you guys enjoyed the uh, the breakdowns there. Hope you guys could pinpoint which spots that I'm looking to bet on. But if you guys want to know what I'm actually betting on, join the Patreon. $5 a month to get all my picks. Uh, no extra charge on that or if you guys just want to go on an event by event basis you can hit up my website mmalotn.ca um 20 bucks an event on there i have five and ten event packages but by far the the cheapest and most effective and efficient and popular way is through the patreon five bucks a month description in the link below or sorry link in the description below i totally fucked that up but you guys know what the hell i mean uh and last thing that i want to plug before i get out of here the tape index if you like to do the due diligence yourself and watch the tape yourself it's going to be very hard to find tape on guys like ali al kaisi and and peter barrett and guys that are just making their ufc debuts um the tape index has you covered we have everything that you need to get prepared for your gambling uh needs for every single ufc fight every single day uh, uh tuesday night contender series fight every bellator fight every pfl fight whenever those guys come back um we post it uh on the tape index so you guys have all the fights uh for these fighters on one page you just click it bang whether it's on fight pass whether it's on a foreign website you guys get to go straight to the fight uh so it just really cuts down browsing time and then we have their instagrams linked we have their topology page linked and then their stats page linked as well too so everything is just on one page it saves you guys a bunch of time if you guys like doing the research yourself uh very cheap as well too i believe it's 3.99 a month 
very, very cheap, very much worth the bang for your buck if you do your own research and you bet a decent amount of money. Even if you bet freaking $5 units, you know what I mean? It saves a bunch of time. Again, even if you're at $5, $20, $100 units, you probably have a part-time or, or a full-time gig too. So why the hell do you want to you know, browse the web for even longer looking for these just foreign fights when we can just have it all on one page for you guys, save you guys more time, save you time to you know go hang out with your loved ones. Spend time with your kids, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. All right, uh, Tape NX, Patreon, both of those plugged. Good luck on your best this weekend, uh, and I'll see you guys next week.